Hi, I'm Dr. Beach, and this is Mental Reality. Today we're here with a very special guest, Ian Twin, who is a PR consultant, and he's here today to talk about the mental health impacts of COVID, and specifically some of the strategies which he's found useful as he's dealt with the pandemic. And why I invited him on the program was I thought he'd have a very unique perspective and he'd be able to compare and contrast the first approximately seven weeks where he was essentially in lockdown in New York City in a small apartment. And now he's been visiting here in California for the past five weeks. Welcome to the program, Ian. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Craig. And thank you for inviting me both to the podcast and to your home. Pleasure's all mine. So why don't we start with giving our listeners a sense of what your life was like pre-COVID. Well, I did have quite a hectic life. As you mentioned, I'm a PR consultant, which is actually means that I'm constantly on the road. A lot of my work is by coastal um, and I generally spend about four uh, on a, I'm generally on a plane every four to five days. Yeah. So um, my, my, Life kind of went from 100 miles an hour to five miles an hour overnight, like everybody else's. So do you remember what your initial reactions were when you found out about COVID? Yeah, I mean, I think like everybody, it's a bit of confusion, you know, is this is this a thing? And then really kind of like desperate to understand everything about it. And the more I thought about it, learned about it, the more fearful you became. And I think that was my initial shock is, okay, the fear of this. And I think that took a number of forms, Um, again, like many people. And And so when you first heard about it, did you kind of think it was going to be like a flu, you know, something you get or you don't? I said to people, you know, I think this is a more dangerous flu. You know, flus happen all the time. It will pass. Um, And then you started getting into it. And in particularly New York, we got hit pretty quickly, pretty hard. And um, then the reality kind of set, set in and it's like, okay, this is, this is going to change our lives for the foreseeable future. And, you know, all around the world, they were talking about New York being the epicenter. So you were living there. So what was that like? Sure. Well, I mean, um, I mean, Manhattan is so vibrant and, um, you, you know, first of all, you're trying to look at, you know, what are the basics? And I think, you know, when I was learning what was going on, the fear was setting in and the fear was like, okay. How do you get food? Now, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but um, I'd, I'd never been grocery shopping up until that point. I, uh, you know, I'm, Can you, know, you run that by me one more time? <laughs> right. I, I hadn't been grocery shopping. I know it's ridiculous, but uh, you know, I, I have a, uh, an apartment with an oven in it, which I've never switched on in 15 years. You know, I tend to eat out or have delivery. So you know, first of all, it was like Manhattan was going to be shut down. So how do you get food? And there was police cars outside Trader Joe's. I mean, it was that kind of craziness and fearfulness that people, it wasn't just the toilet rolls, you know, no frozen foods were going to be like, am I going to be eating? Yeah, am I going to eat? Right. And you've heard that all around people stocking their, you know, fridge and purchasing freezers out of fear that they may run out of, you know, right. food and necessities. And, and then the kind of the fear went through, you know, this is, this is a pandemic that, you know, particularly affects, um, Older people. And, you know, I, I remember we went, we left the office on March the 12th, which was a Thursday. Um, and I thought maybe I could uh, fly to the UK. So I looked at flights that evening. You know, normally flights are thousands of dollars if you go that day. That day was 600 bucks. And I thought, do I fly to the UK, get out of Manhattan, see my family? And I'm like, well, actually, that would be very 
irresponsible. My parents are in their 70s. Our neighbor, who is like a second mother to me, lives next door, has one lung. It would be very irresponsible for you, for you to do that. So then it became, you know, fearful for my family and their health. I mean, I'm glad you brought up others because obviously there there's what you might do and the risks you may take for yourself or even selfishly. But, you know, one of the broader concerns is, of course, the impact that you can have on others and our call for social responsibility. Right. And also like that point in mid-March where I had to figure, well, this has been in the city for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and at that point in mid-March, I'd been on a plane probably more than most people. I'd already done 70,000 miles that year. So I'd been to Europe three times um, between January the 1st and Feb and March the 1st. So I was worried that I was going to be bringing this to somebody. So there you are in your apartment, the reality set in, you're in lockdown. How did you initially cope with that reality, which is so different than the norm you just described? Well, um, I don't think I did. I mean, this fearfulness didn't go away. There's still, um, okay, now the income, you know, what happens if the business goes down? Um, I run a PR company. I was also worried about ATMs not working, you know. So all this was culminating in, in you know, a fearfulness on how do I take control. Which and, I and you have staff to support as well, Absolutely. which is a big stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, although they're the real bosses, you know, they tell me what to do. It's not the other way around. But yeah, I mean, I, I was getting to the point where, you know, at midnight, I mean, I wouldn't go out during the day. At midnight, I'd like sneak off to an ATM to withdraw money in case the ATMs didn't work. And then, um, you know, again, the other fearfulness was really the, the health side of things. And I think this is what really drove me not coping at first uh, particularly well. What kind of ways, even if they were unhealthy, did you well, initially I mean, cope? Well, I... Um, I, well, as you know, because you've known me for a while, long while, I have a persistent cough, which I've had for 16 years, and I have, a, you know, pulmonary issues. So, you know, I could be an at-risk person. So, you know, I had to get my inhalers, you know, sorted out. And, you know, at that time, I was overweight. And all those kind of things were adding up to the point where, okay, my life before had stopped, and I've got all of these worries. And then you say, well, how did I take control? Well, I had lack of control and this. My kind of personality is, is like, that's the one thing I hate being out of is out of control, that feeling of out of control. So so what did you do? Well, initially, you know, I drank a lot. Like <laughs> a lot of people, you know, the binge drinking kind of was going on and, you know, it was hard to keep motivating. Our work was, we were busy, but we weren't 100% busy. I was 40% busy and I'd like to have like 90 things to do, not five things to do. Um Time began to lose all meaning. You know, I was working till three in the morning or watching Netflix till five in the morning, getting up and then maybe having a nap during the day. So that kind of, you know, um, you know, I wasn't really taking control. I was just floating for the first week or so. Right. And I remember when we first heard about COVID and people were talking a lot about it in February. And as you mentioned, March, and even then there were talks, you know, this may be around until May. And then it was summer and then, oh, it may be September. And then the reality has set in that this is with us to stay for a while. Yeah, it did. And then I kind of got that um, impression pretty early on. I was, you know, in April, I was early April. I was still thinking this is the end of the year. I was planning um, what I would be doing if I needed to support myself and the business for the next year, not going away. So I was already in that long term planning. I also kind of, got to the point where 
you know, we're doing a lot of Zoom calls. Everybody was doing Zoom calls. But I remember like the very first week of April doing a Zoom calls. Uh, and I have friends all over the world. So you start at uh, 10 a.m. in Sydney and keep going. And, um, you know, one Saturday I I got through five bottles of wine. Wow. On my own, right, which is pretty good going even for me. <laughs> and, you know, um, I mean... The other thing I discovered, which was kind of fun, was TikTok and videos and things like that. But I remember lip syncing to a video and actually thinking that was me singing. You know, I thought, my God, I'm brilliant. But that was a warning sign. You know, this is kind of, um, okay, if we are going to be here, what do we do um, to make good use of the time? And I'd made that adjustment business-wise, right? I'd actually put in, you know, in, in the business-wise, I'd kind of put in the planning to use the time wisely, to do all those jobs that you always don't do in a business because it always gets left. I'd done that professionally, but I hadn't taken that time to do that personally, if that makes sense. Right. So how did you, when you transitioned to, you're in this for the longer term, what strategies did you start to utilize that were more healthy? Well, I think my fear came from the fact of being out of control. So I started doing things to make myself be in control and treat this like a, a different experience. Now, when I said that I was busy and always on a plane, to give you a demonstration of this, um, between October the 6th, 2019, to February the 10th, 2020, I hadn't spent more than five days consecutively in my apartment. So I tried to take the mindset of like, this is not my new apartment. I'm rediscovering the apartment, if this makes sense. So, right. you know, my norm was not being in the apartment. So now the, the new experience was being in the apartment. So I started to try and rediscover that. Right, that was your novel experience. Yeah, it was a novel experience for me was staying home. And um, so then I started trying to embrace that by taking control of that. So like, um, you know. How do you get organized? So yes, cleaning out that cupboard. I was up at 8 a.m. cleaning my fridge, you know, that kind of thing. You know, my Facebook feed at that point was then being sending me ads for every cleaning product under the sun. (laughs) And I bought them. I turned into the QVC. So I have the gloves that have that you wash up with. I bought micro um, mop slippers that I could dust the floor while dancing around the room with. I bought... Um, every cleaning product that was was coming up and and was utilizing that, you know, that was a good time time for that type of thing. Um, and, and another thing that you know, people who know you will be well aware of. One thing you've done an amazing job at is keeping yourself entertained and also keeping us all entertained with your videos on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you mentioned TikTok. Yeah. So every, well, I was doing very funny videos. I discovered like the video editing app on. Um, my phone and I was doing the funny videos to amuse myself. I was completely unaware that everybody was tuning in every day for that. You know, I bought a Wilson volleyball as my, you know, castaway isolation um, buddy. And we were doing lots of silly things around that. And it was a way to have social interaction with people. Um, And I've enjoyed those videos so much. They offer such an escape and so much enjoyment to lighten the mood. So thank you for those. And I know I'm not alone with those sentiments. Uh, well, yeah, they were, so we should have Wilson on. He doesn't speak much as a as a volleyball, but um, yeah. So and that was a way of connecting with people and, and using humor. And again, you know, one was taking back control, and the other was like finding the humor in the situation, which I, I found interesting. Uh, and then the the thing that I did um, kind of um, take to was, you know, how do I get a bit fitter? 
right? Because I, I, I put on quite a bit of weight, and um, I mean, between um, April the second and I think the end of June, I was down thirty-four pounds. I bought an exercise bike. Okay, it took me four hours to assemble the <laughs> exercise bike, and the first um, bike session was with a glass of wine. But you know, I uh, and you lost the thirty-four pounds just from assembling it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it it was quite a workout in and itself. But um, you know, that was another way that I was like trying to take back more control and use the time. Look, I'm going to be in lockdown. I'm going to use the time wisely. What can I do? And when I say lockdown, I'm um, New York is was a very scary place at that point. And when I say I didn't go out, I did not go out. You know, I think uh, the first week when it was all happening, I would go out around the block. But at 1 a.m. in the morning, right, right. when you're not going to do anything. And, you know, doing things as, as ridiculous as it sounds right now, but I had no idea where my ne- uh, nearest ER was. You know, it turns out to be six streets away, and I walk past it every day, but I hadn't noticed it. Um, but, you know, for, for I know you said seven, eight, seven weeks, but I think it was more like eight weeks. I did not leave my 600-square-foot apartment only to go downstairs and take the trash out. I, I didn't do anything else. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I, I don't know if I could do that. And I know when I realized that, you know, you, you were in that experience and it was ongoing. I remember inviting you to California initially, you know, so that you could get a break. And I know just how, and we've talked a lot about how isolating and how lonely it can be for people during the COVID pandemic, but especially for people who are single and alone which I don't think we talk about a lot. No, and uh, at the time, um, you know, I wasn't comfortable leaving the apartment to go to the trash can. So getting on a plane at that point was, you know, just not going to happen. And I didn't really think that being in a 600 square foot apartment every day was having much of an effect on me because I was putting these strategies in place to take control and be busy, you know. Uh, And once, you know, I did begin to get, out and about, I, I, I would say probably after the Memorial Day, early June, then I started taking bike rides in the city. We have a, a bike sharing scheme called City Bike. And I was exploring parts of the city that I had never been to. Um, you know, and my bike rides would be with a mask on seven or eight hours long. Uh, one weekend, I did all five boroughs and New Jersey in, in a day. So it was, you know, that was another thing to occupy myself and, and discover it. But again, it was on my own. It wasn't somebody I was going right. with. Um, I mean, like the exercise is a good thing. And, you know, people will talk about some of the good that's come from COVID. And, you know, you can imagine kind of increased exercise. and Well, I mean, this what really brought, you know, the, the, the eye-opening moment or, or an awakener was for that. I was on a bike ride. It was probably eight weeks in. And a friend of mine, Christy, was seeing... Um, where I was, you know, I was posting on social. She said, oh, you're, you're in Prospect Park. I'm a few streets away. You know, I'm here. And I looked up. I'm like, oh, I'm a couple of streets away. I'll come for a quick say hello. And we had a chat on the stoop. She poured me a nice glass of water and on the stoop. And I suddenly realized this is the first time I've had a face-to-face conversation with somebody for eight weeks. And this is somebody where I'm interacting in as a public relations professional my norm was to be in front of people the entire time. Now I had I had had conversations on Skype and FaceTime and all the social media platforms, but I had not had a face to face conversation with anybody 
for eight weeks. I was in And when you had that and it was so, you know, anomalous at the time, was it very tangible how different that is than some of the other mediums? I hadn't realized I'd missed it until I got it again. I know. And then ultimately, obviously, you decided to come to California. What made you change your mind? Um, well, I think um, the situation in terms of cases were improving. I, you know, been very, very diligent about like where they were at that time. San Diego, where we were, had had, I think, 242 deaths compared to New York, which was 24,000 deaths. So like the ratio was kind of different. Right. And I suddenly realized, um, you know, although people and friends of mine were saying, I think you're coping really well, I was thinking like, this is not necessarily healthy to be caged. Basically, you're a caged animal, you know. Right. And um, there was a risk involved in flying here. There was a risk involved coming, but it was a calculated risk. And I thought, I need to do this as a way to continue to be healthy. Otherwise, you're going to go stir crazy. Right. And how have you found it so far? And in particular, what have you found most helpful about being here in California? Well, very different way of living. Um, but I mean, I think the difference that I first kind of had my um, pessimism about coming or my concern about coming wasn't just the travel. It's like, I know that you kind of joke, this place here is my Hamptons because I come so often for long weekends. And um, and I do. Except you don't pay the rent. I don't pay the rent, yes. What another <laughs> subtle hint. Um, I, I pay, but in other ways. Um, but, um, you know, the, 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 um, there's a very difference between, and I'm in California a lot, as you know, about a week out of every six. So it's very different from me coming from a long weekend and an extended stay, you know. Um, it changes the dynamic, you know. And that was, I was conscious of that as well. I know that you and I have known each other for 16 years and fall back into our ways very immediately. Um, but we're not the 28-year-olds that we were when we first met. And like, you know, how do we keep our friendship going when we're living in each other's pockets? But more more importantly, how do I fit into your family, which I don't know as long? You know, I don't want to impose on anybody's activities and there's difference between coming for a long weekend as a get guest and being weighted on hand and foot and being part of a family where you're pulling your way and you know not staying up karaoke until two in the morning because we're all going to work and do our jobs the next day right and you know obviously it's very different in new york and the lifestyle you describe but here has a much slower pace but actually i think in some ways you've kind of brought that new york spirit with you and i really appreciate that i mean that's been great to kind of bring some life to the home, you know, bring it, you've been a breath of fresh air. Well, I appreciate that. Um, But in terms of California life, I mean, it is very different. You know, a lot of people say this East Coast and West Coast, and I was a diehard East Coaster. But um, yeah, and if you told me a month ago, I would enjoy California life, I would have laughed you out of the room. But um, I think because we've taken stock, you know, I've kind of, recentered reconnected slowed down a little bit and actually changed you know lifestyles i'm enjoying this experience immensely and it's really showing me how limited i was in new york and how i papered over the cracks with you know controlling strategies and you know some could say like why were you not in your apartment for five days consecutively is that an avoidance strategy so i'm kind of like taking this stock to think 
okay, when we do go back to normal, do I want to be on a plane every five days? I'm not sure I do. And if anybody that knows me would hear this, they would be shocked because, you know, travel and being going at a million miles an hour is what people identify about me, I think. Right. And this has provided an opportunity to really introspect more deeply on, you know, the before and after and kind of want how you want the next phase to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Now here, aside from location, obviously another difference is there are people around. And I think already, you know, we've set in into a routine together, you know, very much like, you know, go to work, do our thing, see each other when we get home, have dinner, et cetera. But a big difference here compared to when you're at home and when you go back to New York is going to be, you know, having other people much more involved as part of the routine. It's as silly as, oh, hey, do you want a cup of coffee? I'm making a cup of coffee. Anyone else want one? You know, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. Um, And yes, there's regular chores to be done and interactions that we have. And I know that you were joking that we were bonding over taking out the trash. I don't think what people realize is taking out the trash here involves dragging six wheelie bins a quarter of a mile up a 45 (laughs) foot inclined of a drive. You know, that's a workout. That is... You know, when we take out the trash, it's 20 minutes. It's not like taking a bag downstairs. It's like a multitask with your exercise. It's it's, it's an exercise, you know, motor strategy, take control, you know. Um, But, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, you know, adapting your way of doing things into somebody else's lifestyle. And, you know, it's eye-opening. So I I can't believe it. You know, Saturday, you're going back to New York. Well, the flights can be changed. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, and he thinks I'm laughing. No flights can be changed. Yeah, that is true. Uh, so if you had one piece of advice or recommendations to other people who are struggling um, or who are trying to navigate things emotionally during this really trying, difficult time with no clear end in sight, what would it be? Um, well, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, I'm no expert, but I think what has helped me is coming to the realization that this is ongoing it's not two or three months so how are you going to use this time productively um in your work life if you're lucky enough to continue to work and professionally like you know i think this is a moment in time to be like what is making you happy and what is going to allow you to be fulfilled because you know we this is going to continue for a long time and hopefully we'll all sound healthy but we don't know you know this is the new way we have to interact. So how are you going to adapt your life to it? I think that is a different mindset to, oh, I'm just waiting this out for two months until it gets better. Right. And one real test for us all is like learning how to better sit with and deal with uncertainty. You mentioned economic, but also there's health uncertainty. There's just so much uncertainty. And that's not something that many of us are good at dealing with. And you mentioned at the beginning always wanting to be in control. So that must be really challenging, right? When you don't know kind of how your business is going to do, do you, know, I you think don't know, you, the, could, you could get COVID. Do you know the, um, the liberating thought was, and I was very, very much, oh, what do I do about this? And, and, you know, a lot of my work is trade shows and conferences and events around the world. And when I realized I wasn't in control in those kind of things, I could plan for everything, but that was out of my control. Once I was out, okay with that then I concentrated on the things that I could take control of which had you know tangible 
benefits for me personally as well as professionally you know of course in our in our business we started like lining up all of the activities and updating the website and things that we never kind of do but you know understanding that you know take control and get busy about and worry about the things that you can affect and understand the things that you can't affect it's not something you should waste your time on worrying about or trying to influence was a big aha moment Right. I think that's really that's really powerful to not worry about things that are beyond your control. And I'd also suggest start to think about and realize that very few things in life are truly 100 percent in our control. Well, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. OK, um, well, I wish you all the best. Ian. thanks for being here today. Um, and I know I'll see you soon. Very soon. <laughs> this is Mental Reality. I'm Dr. Beach. Thank you.